You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, My Jubilee Church. This series explores six attributes of Jubilee that in part define what we're all about. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Being in a relationship with Jesus, He's done everything, uh, reaching out and reaching to me, and basically saying, just, just come, I've taken care of it. You don't have to do Uh, I've done it. He's the giver of life. He gives life. Being with him just nourishes the soul. It's good. And, um, you know, he guides guides us through whatever's happening in life. And so just being with him is is huge. Having that relationship with Jesus really teaches me how to love people, really teaches me how to love myself um, and how to live my life to the fullest without all that fear and doubt coming in and just knowing that I have an incredible Father in Heaven. I feel that you can have a really loyal friend, you can have a really loving family, but people get tired of things. But I know that Jesus, He is always consistent in His love. He's always consistent in His wisdom. So I know that um, even on the worst day, I can pray to Him even though I can't hear Him or knowing that He's there. I know that he will solve the problem as long as I communicate with him. And I think that's the best part is his consistency. All of the stories, all of the books, all of the movies, all of the music in this world, I feel like just portray that need for intimacy that only Jesus can provide. That was really what I clung to was the companionship of God, him being my friend, um, just having someone to talk to when I'm in trouble and someone just to hold on to. Hope is just the best way for me to describe my relationship with Jesus because this world is dark and there's a lot of darkness in it. There's a lot of problems in it and there's a lot of brokenness and Jesus is just like a light and he's always there and I can always go to him. It's like a relationship I would have with a friend um, or a family member. Like I want to spend that time with him. And so it goes from feeling like you have to check these things off of a to-do list to this is my life and this is what I do as a part of my relationship with him. I feel I'm constantly seeking a place that I where I can belong to and Jesus is a place that I know that I can always come home on a sad day on a happy day that I can share joy or sadness with him. We are going to start a new series today, and uh, thinking about this series, um, I was kind of reflecting, well, it's February, this is the month of February, it, write that down, and uh, it's, the, it's a 19-year anniversary birthday, we're going to call it Jubilee Church. We've been, this is our 19th year, can you believe that? Next year's 20 years, it's going to be huge, it's going to be epic, we're going to do lots of awesome stuff. Um, but I was reflecting on this, and I was having lunch with someone last Friday, and just talking about like just how things have evolved over these years. Um, you know, started as 22 adults uh, in this little building, and now 700 people, four different locations, and uh, you know, 500 volunteers, 500 community groups, uh, people in community groups, loving, serving each other. And when I first started leading the church, church life was pretty simple. There's about 130 of us, and I was involved in. In uh, pretty much everything, I either directly uh, led that or I was working in a 
team where we all kind of led everything and, and not just led groups of people, not just being involved in, hey, how this group of people going, but down to how, you know, individual lives and, and very much involved in everything. But as things, has, as things have grown and expand, uh, which is a good thing, uh, leaders have emerged and, and leaders have started leading different things. And now there is a, a distance between, I guess, um, myself and, and what was happening in the church. And I had this re- realization like, oh my gosh, there are things happening in the church that I don't, I don't know about. And uh, it was, you know, it was, for a moment it was a little bit frightening until I realized, no, this is a good thing. It's what we set out to do. And <laughs> I breathe again. And, um, but what, what began to happen is like, okay, I don't, I can't, you know, we're, we're starting to have multiple services. We were starting to start new locations. And besides the fact of multiplying ministries and groups, is that I don't, I can't always have my hands on like how someone's experiencing Jubilee Church. You know, there's 500 volunteers, 500 people in community groups, love it, all good, but they're the ones determining. Other people are, are having a bigger say on how, how people experience the church. And so I guess it was probably about seven years ago, I, I came up here and, and had a message like, hey guys, this is, this is your church. Like, you know, this isn't, you know, if you guys want a bad one, then let's have a bad church. If you want a good church, you have a good church. If you think the church should be loving, then guess what? You know, be loving if you want. So it went through that whole deal and repeated that kind of a message uh, ever since then. And so in thinking about this series, My Jubilee Church, what are we talking about? Well, I want to remind us of some things that have been important for us for the past 19 years, and by God's grace will continue to be true of us. And so I've developed um, this this list of things, okay, when I think about it, like, okay, what are some things that we do that I, I really appreciate that I would like us to continue? And I want to give handles to you because this is your church. This isn't my church. This isn't the elders. This is your church. And I want to tell you what we've been about, and I want to encourage us, and I'll say press on us to continue to be this way. So this series is called My Jubilee Church, and there's six things I want to talk about. And My Jubilee Church knows God. My Jubilee Church loves me. My Jubilee Church has a message. My Jubilee Church serves others. My Jubilee Church gives generously. My Jubilee Church remembers the poor. And uh, you can notice a hashtag on the, on the, on the screen in terms of the logo, um, uh, what this series is about. And I'd love to hear from you. I'm going to tell you what I, what, you know, what I appreciate about this church and, and what I love about this church. And, but I would love to, for you to communicate back hey, this is, this is what I like. So whether it's Twitter, Instagram, whatever, just to say, hey, here's a picture, here's a phrase, here's something about Jubilee that I really, I'd love to hear from you guys. In fact, it'd be great if we can all hear from each other, encourage each other on what it is about this church that we uh, appreciate. So this first, but this first uh, message, I want to talk about how uh, my Jubilee Church knows God, that there's this call, this invitation, the invitation from the gospel, the invitation from God is not to enter a religion, but it's an interrelationship. The invitation from God is, to, is not to enter a religion, it's to enter relationship. And when you think about it, that is an outrageous claim. I mean, it almost doesn't even make sense. That, I mean, if you've been around the church, maybe that's just, that's just what you say, and it's just become you know, part of your vernacular. Um, but the, the claim of the Christian isn't simply that they know things about God. Or they believe things about God, or that they know facts about God, or they serve God, or even that they worship God. The thing about a Christian is that they claim to have a personal relationship 
with God. Like, it's like, I know God. Like, I walk with Him. I talk with Him. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, like, you know, I was talking to the uh, creator of the universe the other day, and, like, he said the darndest thing. And it's just like, it's that kind of relationship. And, you know, you've heard of, that's like the ultimate name drop, right? It's like, you know, yeah, you know, you know God. Yeah, me and Him talk. How presumptuous is that? But it's true. And it's meant to be true. In fact, the Apostle John, he writes this in, in his first epistle. He says, indeed, because I know this is crazy. I know this is going to sound strange. I know this is going to be weird. So he uses the word, in, indeed, our fellowship, that word fellowship, intimate partnership. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that, that's what this is about. This is about a relationship with the God of the universe. That we are to, to know him. What about you? Where are you at today? Do you know God? I don't mean know things about God. But do, but do you know him? Do you subjectively know him? Can, can you say what David says in, in Psalm 63? The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. I've experienced something that is better than than life itself. And so to kind of flesh this out and talk about it, I'm gonna, I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 3. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, black Bible, that'll be page 977. Page 977. This is one of my favorite sections uh, of Scripture. It's so rich and pregnant with all kinds of Words and meanings, and this is, I, th- I don't know if anybody's counting, I doubt they are, but I, I, this is at least the fifth time I've preached from this, me- this particular passage. And it won't be the same thing that I preached before. You wouldn't remember anyway, but even if it was, it's not, I promise. So Ephesians 3, we're going to read verses 14 to 21. This is Paul praying. He says, for this reason, and I'll tell you that reason here in a minute. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family and on heaven and on earth is named. That is a rich line that I would love to talk about, but we're not. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Your inner being is everything that makes you you. It's like the control center of you. It's, 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 it's your mind, will, emotions. It's all of it. It's your inner being. So that Christ may dwell... In your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, or you could say the width, and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Okay, this is going to go beyond the cognitive. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And he just caps this off with this wonderful doxology. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and amen. All right. Okay, so what's interesting about this text is the context for what it's written. So I said that I'll tell you, he says, for this reason, I bow many. What was the reason? Well, the reason is, was that they were suffering. The, these Ephesian believers that he was writing to, they were suffering and he was suffering. In fact, in verse 13, he says, so I, so I ask you do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Paul is in a prison. He's in a, a hole in the ground, essentially. 
with a bunch of other people, the great over the top of it. I'm suffering. You guys are suffering. I'm reading your communication cards every week, Paul says, and I could see that you're struggling in your marriage. I could see that you're, uh, there's relationship struggle. You maybe just lost your job or you lost a loved one. There's pain and there's suffering. There's all these circumstances that Paul is taking in and taking in and taking in and taking in. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knee. And guess what he prays for? Nothing external. He didn't pray for one marriage. He didn't pray for one job to be come. He didn't pray for anything external. He doesn't say, oh God, I pray that you relieve their pain. He doesn't even say, hey, I want to pray God spring me out of here so I can come bless you guys. But he prays that they would have a robust inner life. That they would be strengthened in their inner man. And what Paul's doing here, he's showing us the absolute priority um, of the inner life over to the outer life. He's saying the most important thing that you need to strengthen for you to move out in this life in strength has nothing to do with your externals. It has everything to do with your internals, your inner man. In fact, he, that's why he could say in, in what he says to the Corinthians, he goes, you know, our outer self is wasting away. Ha, ha, ha. It's all going away. The body's going away. Our money's going away. But our inner self is being renewed day by day from one degree of glory to the next. And so he was able to rejoice. He was able to be confident. In fact, he says, I found the secret in being in, in contentment. I found the secret, whether I have a lot, or a lot or I have a little. What is that? Man, I'm strengthening my inner self. And my prayer for you is that you would be strengthened in the very core of you, the most important thing about you to develop more important than your financial life, more important than your physical life, more important than your relational life, more important than your recreational life, is that you develop a robust inner life, a robust spiritual life. You could, your world could be falling apart, but if you're strong in here, you're going to go out in the world in strength. If, you, if, you're, if you're weak here, but your world is okay, you're still going to go out in weakness. This is this is huge reality in Scripture. Women remember from uh, a couple weeks ago, if you were gathering um, at the at the ladies' gathering, Abby Dalney was teaching some w- uh, women recently about prayer, and she was essentially trying to communicate to these ladies and did communicate to these ladies what Paul is wanting for the Ephesians. She was saying the same thing. She was saying, "Hey, ladies." Don't leave your inner life to chance. And so she so helpfully went through the life of Daniel, the life of Elijah, the life of of Jesus, and said, these men did not leave their inner life to chance. They made it a point regularly to come and strengthen the inner person, strengthen the inner person, and they faced their battles. Daniel in the lion's den. You know, Elijah being chased by evil rulers. Jesus, of course, the cross. How could they face the difficulty? How could they move out in strength? Because, she said so helpfully, hey, they did, not, they did not leave their inner life to chance. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that the, the Christian should both expect and seek out on a regular basis to have these robust, robust strong experience, uh, experiences of God. And, and to understand this, and I think this is why I miss this, what makes this... Um, I guess I'd say it this way. To understand the gravity of this text, I think we need to see that this prayer is for Christians. I think 
Because there's some interesting thing, I think interesting, that he says that are kind of puzzling. And maybe you gloss over these kinds of things because you don't really take in the fact that Paul is writing to Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian, you'll get stuff out of this too. But it's important to know he's writing to Christians because what he's saying, and like for example, in verse 16, he says, he says my, my prayer is that Christ will, will dwell in your hearts. Now, how many here were told, like, when you became a Christian, that Christ dwelled in your heart? Anybody? I hope so, because it's true. <laughs> I mean, in fact, Paul even says in Ephesians 2, he says that Christ does dwell in your heart. So in Ephesians 2, he says Christ does dwell in your, dwell in your heart. But why is he saying in chapter 3, I, I pray that Christ will dwell in your heart? What's that all about? Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, says that we have the fullness of Christ, that uh, that everything, you know, the fullness of, of God's deity dwells in Christ. We're in Christ, you know, he has it all, we have it all. There's passages like, you know, God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us fullness. Why is Paul praying that we would have fullness then? What's up with that? He's praying that we would get close to God. In Ephesians 2, he says, you're seated in the heavenly places. You can't get any closer than God than heavenly places. But yet he's praying He's praying. He's pressing on us. What is there? What's the parrot? Why is he saying, "Hey, Christ dwells in you." Hey, I pray that Christ would dwell in you. Paul, you're confusing me here. Here's the difference. There's a massive difference between knowing something up here and experiencing it. Huge, huge. It's one thing to know that a Lamborghini is fast. It's another thing to get behind the wheel and have a spin. Imagine that some relative you didn't know you had, you know, gave you, you inherited a million, you know, millions of dollars from them. And it has to be a relative that you didn't know you had because a relative you knew you had wouldn't give you a million dollars. But anyway, <laughs> but let's say you, a relative you didn't know you had gave you a million dollars. And so it's yours, man. It's in, the, it's in the bank. It's in your bank. You've got a million dollars. But it's the weekend. And the banks are closed. And you don't have any checks. And gosh darn it, I forgot the PIN number on my ATM. So what are you going to do? Well, you may have, here's the point, you may have a million, millions of dollars in the bank, but you may be eating ramen noodles tonight. Paul is saying, you have got ownership of this amazing thing. You, you have the riches of God. You've been new in Christ, seated in heavenly places, and everything, you know, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in him, and you're in him, and you have all of this. And yet, you're eating ramen noodles. You have it, but yet you're not experiencing it. I want you to, fe- I want you to feel it. I want you to experience this. And I want you to press into those. I mean, we know, we know God loves us. For God so loved the world, that he gave the only God. We know facts about God, but quite frankly, if we're honest... We grow bored of those facts. And so what ends up happening is like what C.S. Lewis says. He says, we're like kids in the ghetto who are content to play with mud pies because we can't imagine a holiday by the sea. We just have no idea what's out there. By the way, a holiday in English is a vacation. Um, We have no idea what's out there. In fact, Paul even says it's way beyond your imagination. 
you know, you can't even think or imagine what God will do if you ask him. We just, but we have this content, so we don't, there's no desire, we, so we have this stuff, but there's no framework, there's no desire for us to go after us. I mean, the God of the universe sends out this ev- invitation to be known, says, hey, come, hey, I'm inviting you to come know me. I'm coming, inviting you to grow in your inner self. I'm come, inviting you to experience an inexhaustible source of love and joy. I'm inviting you into that, and we're like, nah, I'm okay. I'm cool. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm not going to hell, I'm fine. You know, I'm just coming here because well, my, I don't want my kids to go crazy and become a teenager, and so that's why I'm doing this. I'm doing some things, you know, I'm, I'm coming on Sunday, um, I, I'm in a community group, I'm doing some external things, but there's no, there's no active pursual of pressing in. And this, and I'm not trying to call anybody, this is absolutely an epidemic in... American Christianity. This contentment to know things about God, but yet no passion or zeal to really experience God. It's what Jeremiah, you know, when he prophesied to Israel, he says, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken God and they have built for themselves broken cisterns that do not produce water. And this affects everything. This affects everything how we live. Then we have this kind of like, this not passion to really know who he is. It affects how we pray. It affects how we relate to the church. It affects how we read the Bible. So we read the Bible like a newspaper. It's like, oh, the sports section. Okay, David killed Wyatt. That's interesting. Okay, let me go look at business section. Oh, it says I should give. I'll go back to the sports. And so we just, we read it like it's, but there's no meditating. There's no seeking after it. There's no wrestling. There's no desire and passion to commune with the living God. Paul here is bowing the knee. And this is like intense emotion. He's saying, God, guys, I want you to get this. If there's anything out there, I want you to to get this. Your biggest problems are not financial. Your biggest problems are not health related. Your biggest problems are not relational. Your biggest problems is you need a robust inner life. You need a robust inner life. And what you got here is this great tension, if I could kind of put it in this language, between passion for the word of God and passion for the spirit of God. There's these these two big camps in the church. And so some churches are really great with uh, administering the, the Word of God, which is awesome and just like, you know, really great at preparing people for, um, I think, tough times. Because if you don't, if there's some things that you don't know about God, like factually know and, and, build, and, and apply faith to it, you're going to go seasons in your life where you're just, you're just not feeling it. So there are some times in the Psalms where, where David's like, man, I can't get away from God's presence. Like, I just experience, you know, if I go in a mountain, he's there. If I go to the depths of sea, he's there. Go here, he's there. If I go, I confuse myself. He's just everywhere. He, God's just everywhere as we try. And then in Psalm 88, places like Psalm 88, in other words, it's like, God, where are you? I'm in, a, I'm in a dry, dark place. I'm not feeling it right now. So it's so huge to have, like, we need foundations of God's word because there are seasons where you don't, you're, you 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 know, you're, you can't rely on a subjective experience. You just, you need to know those things. So they're great at, at preparing people for that. And they're great, you know, they're great at people knowing the word. And they're great at keeping people from blowing up 
be quite honestly, but they're, they're very afraid of leading people to experience into the realm of the experience, into the realm of the, dare I say, emotion, to have spiritual encounters. It's not David, David in that prayer, Psalm 88, you can read it, even though he wasn't in the right place, he's like, God, I need you to, I need you to come near to me. Paul's praying, I need you to come near to me. But then you have on the other side of the camp, maybe this is where you come from, is you've got, you know, churches who are really great at, at the experience and the emotion and really great at not keeping it from uh, people from drying up. I mean, it's just very, I mean, they flow. There's, people feel the anointing. It's very powerful. It's very emotional. But very weary of, of the Bible or theology and, and thinking deeply. It's too rigid, too, too religious. It's almost that way. You know, if you read the Bible too much, you're too religious. And um, so very afraid of that. But here's my question. Can we be the church that like contends for both of those things? Can we be nuanced enough? Can we be biblical enough in our pursuit of God to understand that we need both of those things? And, and we need not to let either, you know, let... Neither of the aisles win. If we pull this way, pull back, pull this way, we pull back. That we would have, we'd have people, you know, loving and going after things like, you know, going through, studying the Old Testament like some of us are right now. Just like, man, I just got to get the word in me, get the word in me, get the word in me. But also super passionate. Like, man, I, I want experiences with God. I want experiences with the Holy Spirit. And it comes together that way. Paul, that is Paul's plead for this church. That they would not, um, they just wouldn't know things, but they would experience things. See, that's the invitation of scripture. David writes in Psalm 34, to taste and see that the Lord is good. So it's an invitation to experience. John um, uh, 20, verse 31, the first part of that verse He's, he, writes, he writes about this gospel. He says that, because I write these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So he, the whole reason why he wrote this is to convince them that Jesus is the Son of God. There's some things that you need to know. There's some things that you need to believe. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. You can just read about him and fall in love with him. It's that powerful. But that's not it. Just to, belief isn't where he stops. Because it says, I, cause I, pr- I, I write these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you may have life in his name. Belief is huge, but belief is just the doorway. What he wants you is to experience life. In fact, he says to the Pharisees, I've quoted this quite a bit in John 5. He says, you, got, you Pharisees who know who have Genesis through uh, all, all the entire Old Testament. The entire Old Testament. Let me get this for visual fact. Hold on. They know all, you, you Pharisees, you know all that have that memorized? Backwards, by the way, Jewish. Um, if you uh, they have all this memorized, they say, you don't know the word. What do you mean you don't know the word? They have this thing memorized. So this is, why you this is why you don't know it. It's because it doesn't lead to me. Your knowledge isn't causing you to pursue me, run after me, 
experience me. It's just piling up this fact. It's just massively important. He wants us to, to strengthen our inner being so that we would know the love of Christ. That he says surpasses knowledge. Knowledge is not bad, but it's just it's a step one to get you into understanding what he wants you to understand. He wants us to understand the width, the length, the depth, the height of his love. He wants us to know how wide his love is for us. There are many of us who feel like God can never forgive me for what I've done. Um, that, um, and he wants you to know how wide his love is. We know that he removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. We know that. But do we know it? Do we know it's that wide? Do you know how long his love is? There's not anybody out of his reach. If you think you're a lost cause, if you think anyone else is a lost cause, you don't know. Favorite verse, one of my favorite verses, uh, they're all favorites, but Isaiah 50, sorry for saying that, sorry. Isaiah 59.1 says that his arm is not too short to save. He doesn't have one of those T-Rex arms, right? He doesn't have like, it's not like, that's not his arm. His arm is like the, the mom on Incredibles. Like it reaches out. It's one of those kind of arms. It can reach anybody. And once he has you, you will never get away. Because his, his love is that long. He wants you to know the depth of his love. We know, we know about the cross. Oh yeah, the cross. Height, you know, in heaven, experiencing the communion with, with the Holy Trinity, sets that aside, humbles himself, lives in obscurity for 33 years, dies a criminal's death. And just so you know how devastating this was, I, mean, I think we can imagine potentially the physical horror, but just the, the spiritual horror. The night before he went, he's in agony in the garden. And he's father. If, this, if, we can, if there's another way out of this. You know, I know we've been planning this for a few billion years, but if there's any way that we could not do this. Didn't, he didn't say this, but it's almost as like if he's saying, I didn't realize how deep and how far his love for us is deep. Do, do, you, do you know that up here? Do you know that? Do you know that? Have you experienced the depth of his love and the height of his love? You know what he says about you in the Bible? Calls you saints. Gives you his righteousness. Takes off your rags of, of filth and sin. And he takes a robe of righteousness and he just covers you in that. He raised you up. He says that, he, he says that we were dead in our sins. We were at the bottom of the ocean. We weren't kind of like calling out for help. We were dead. We were in the morgue. We were at the bottom of the ocean. And he reached down and says he raised us up with Christ. And he seated us with Christ in heavenly places. Now I know you know those verses. But do you know that? And if you know that, why are you so insecure about what people think? Why are you so freaked out about what someone said to you yesterday when God thinks of you that way? What's because you don't know the love of God. You know it, but you don't know it. He, he's inviting us to be strengthened in his inner being. 
every marriage at some point has this point where someone will say something like, I know we're married, but I don't feel married. I know you love me, but I don't feel like you love me. God wants you to know that you 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 know that he loves you. And he's not the kind of husband who says, well, I've told you once already. I wrote a book and told you how much I love you. He wants you to experience it. He, he wants you to know it, and he wants you to feel it. Uh, or maybe like even if, and I've been on these vacations where it's like, you know, I'm on vacation, but I don't, it doesn't feel like a vacation. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm getting healthier. I just don't feel healthy. I mean, just, you're, there's, he wants you to experience this. What Paul's talking about is an inward experience where God becomes as real to you as any other person, if not more. It's like what Laura Granger said up there. She's like, it's just like any relationship that I would have with anyone else. That's what, that's what Paul's pressing on us for. He wants us to have that kind of relationship. How do we receive it? Well, let's just look at this, uh, this text one more time. We'll close. Just take us a minute. Um, he says, there's three things we need to do. We need to humble ourselves, we need to draw near, and we need to receive the Spirit. Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees. Now, we just throw prayer and bow your knees in like the Christian jargon box, and it all just kind of makes sense to us. But you have to understand that people did not regularly bow their, well, we don't even bow, regularly bow our knees in prayer, but that was not common for people to do that. In fact, when Paul, t- or excuse me, when Jesus talks about People praying and worshiping and are in prayer. He says, hey, you know, when you're, when you, you know, when you're standing and praying, basically, when you're praying and don't stand here, don't stand like this, don't do these things. Because like, every, everybody just stood and prayed. It was common. People did bow and pray, but it was only under this intense emotional response. It was this intense humbling and surrendering encounter. And Paul is modeling the kind of humility that he wanted these Ephesians to have and the kind of humility that we have. Like, hey, I know you don't normally do this, but I want you to humble yourself. Because we carry all of our baggage into into this new life he has for us, and we need to humble ourselves. And then it says, says, for reason I bow my knees before the Father. That word before means to have this face-to-face encounter. So he says, I want you to, he says, he says I'm, fa- I'm humbly surrendered before him, and yet I'm, I'm face to face with him as well. I'm, I'm near him. James says, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. There is this activity where you have to pursue. This isn't just something God is just, it's not something you absorb. It's not things that you just hear. Oh, okay, that's nice, that's interesting. It's good to know that. But there's, there's, there's a pursuit on you. So, so, the, so how Jesus decided to portray how this would look between us and him. He's like, hey, it's like I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you open it, I'll come in. He's communicating very clearly, A, I'm here. B, I want to come in. But you have got to pursue. You have got to press in. You've got to humble yourself and you've got to draw near to him. And finally, what you're asking for, because that's what he says. He says, I want you to ask for this. I'm asking it for you, and I, and you, I want you to ask. Because he says, it's going to be even more than you ask. So we're all asking together. 
you ask for the Holy Spirit. Well, I, you know, I already got the Holy Spirit when I became a Christian. Well, yes, you did. Now, we've already gone over this. It's happened. He wants it to happen even more. You have fullness. He just wants more fullness. He dwells in you, but he really wants you to feel the... He wants you to feel it. Jesus makes us sons of God legally. The Holy Spirit makes us feel like sons of God. Romans 8, it says that the Holy Spirit cries out in our, in, our, in our inner being, Abba, Father. There's something in, there's something in, you need to, you need your spirit inside of you, the very inner part of you to know, to know that God loves you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's when you read of all in, in history, all different kinds of people from all different back, kind of backgrounds, all different, you know, whether it's Methodists or Catholic even, or just whatever. Just all different extremes, all different kinds of people, all different kinds of ages, all different kinds of ethnic backgrounds, uh, male and female, when they describe what happens when the Holy Spirit really comes near to their heart. I mean, like the Puritan said, it's like liquid love. It's just like wave after wave after wave of God just crashing on our souls. You need it. Paul wants thinks you pursue, should pursue it.